If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jonah. Our scripture reading today will be Jonah chapter 1, and we'll actually be beginning in verse 1 today. If you are using the Black Pew Bible in front of you, or that's near you, you will find today's text on page uh, 774. Once again, that's Jonah chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us in whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that, it was, that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on, his, on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have come here today and stand in your presence to pray, to worship you and honor you with songs of praise to listen to your word, and as we have just read in your word, you show us and remind us that you are a God of power and majesty and authority, that even the storms and the oceans obey your commands. And yet you are a God of compassion and mercy and grace for giving us the gift of your son and of 
taken sinners like us, transformed us, and clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. We now pray for our brother Steve as he comes to deliver the message that you would empower him with your spirit and that you give him the words to speak with clarity and thought. And I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to receive those words and change us to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to preach down here because I'm blind as a bat and I don't feel like falling down the stairs. <laughs> um, we come this morning to the, to the book of Jonah. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Smith. I am one of the elders here at Gray Road. Uh, we are glad to have you uh, with us. This morning, as Kevin mentioned before, our senior pastor is on a five or six week sabbatical, praying for his refreshment uh, during this time. I'm going to ask you to, to silence your hearts for a moment and, and pray with me. Um, I'm going to be frank with you. There are many things that, as I was preparing for this week, uh, I struggle very much so with what to say and what not to say. And I'm in need of God's grace and wisdom this morning. I'm going to need some Kleenexes this morning. I can pretty much promise you that. If somebody could grab that for me, that would be wonderful. Um, Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you would meet us here that your spirit would fall on this place that you would crush our our pride and our self-justification that 
that you would demolish our self-righteousness and self-exaltation. God, that what breaks your heart would break our hearts. Lord, that we would hate what you hate. That we would love what you love. That you would be our God and that we would be your people. That you would show us your glory. We are unworthy of Your love. And we are unworthy to be called children of God. And we give You great praise for the grace that You have given us in Your Son. Lord, help us to come to the Word with humble and teachable hearts this morning. That we would glorify You on the earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah is a, a prophetic book. That was originally intended for an audience of 5th century Jews as really a warning to them. You know, prophetic books and historical books aren't necessarily meant to be prescriptive or to tell us things that we're supposed to do necessarily. Jonah is a historical narrative, a theological narrative like Chad mentioned last week. And I'm just going to read something to you from the New Testament, if I can find it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul teaches us how to understand Old Testament historical narrative. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. 
Nevertheless, most of them, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Jonah is a historical narrative that is a warning. It is, it is a historical narrative about God. Petty human beings want to make it about fish and about loss and about boats and about mariners and about plants and every other little thing. This, make, make no mistake about it, this book is about God. This book is about His glory and the fact that no matter what people do, no matter what His own prophet does, God will be glorified and God will pursue His own glory. That's what this book is about. God called Jonah to preach. He told Jonah to rise up. Rise up and go to the great city of Nineveh and call out against it. Jonah was a called prophet of God with a special office as a prophet who received direct revelation from God Himself. And God called him to rise up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Call out against that great city. Jonah was not called by God to go to Nineveh and tell them how to find a better life. He had an incredibly difficult message that he was called by God to deliver to the people of Nineveh. He was to call out against it, cry out against that city. God is calling his prophet to go into a town that he has never been in, to see a people that he has never seen before, and to scream at the top of his lungs against the wickedness in that city. Cry out! Against the wickedness that is there. 
And Jonah rises to flee. The text tells us that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship that was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish and away from the presence of the Lord. God's agenda has always been and will always be the glory of His name. Church, hear what I'm saying. God's agenda has always been, is right now, and will always be the glory of His name. And He called His prophet, who belongs to Him, to go to a city and preach the glory of His name to a wicked place, and his prophet run. You see, the problem with Jonah is that Jonah's agenda was not God's agenda. At the root of his heart, Jonah's life was not God's agenda. So when God calls him to do something that would have obviously been extremely difficult and would have been at pers great personal sacrifice to himself and maybe even possibly death, Jonah says, no way. No way. And he flees. He went away from the presence of the Lord. Church, just for a moment, think with me. What is God's agenda right now? What is God's agenda for His people right now? Jesus commands His people. Jesus tells His people, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples, listen, everything that you have done among the least of these you have done unto me. Jesus prays to God saying, glorify me as, you, as, I, as I have glorified you on the earth. And then he prays for his church. That his church would be able to glorify him. God's agenda to this day, right now, is His glory. God's agenda for His church, for His people, is the pursuit of His glory.
What is God's agenda for us? The church, my friends, my brothers and sisters, and I'm, I'm in this group, has lost its prophetic voice. Brothers and sisters who have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are God's children. You are God's mouthpiece in our world today. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We are the ones that Paul talks to that says, be zealous unto good work that they will see them and they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. God's agenda is His glory. We glorify God by loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength. The second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus calls His people to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. This is what the Lord requires. But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God? <sighs> Here's where I'm struggling. And I, God's got to help me. Church, please, please, please don't listen to me. But, but ask God. To help us. Who is our neighbor? You see, when Jesus confronted the Jews with the story of the Good Samaritan, the Jews sought to justify themselves. Remember this? The man gets beat up and robbed and sitting on the side of the road and the religious leaders walk by, the, the Pharisee walks by, the priest walks by, and then the Samaritan stops and loves his neighbor. And the Jews, the Scripture says, the Jews seeking to justify themselves ask the Lord Jesus, who is my neighbor? I see it in your eyes. Where is he going with this? Guys, 60 million of our neighbors 
have been murdered. In our presence, in the midst of our silence, have no doubt that if our Lord was with us today, He would say to His church, rise up and cry out against it. Ladies and gentlemen, please feel the weight of it. We are living in a culture that celebrates the death of the most innocent among us. We think of the great wickedness of the city of Nineveh. What about the wickedness that's right here? Sure, 60 million babies have been dismembered, burned in acid. Our neighbors. And I, I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. Listen, I'm 38 years old, and for the first 37 years of my life, I didn't give any thought to this. But these are our neighbors. These are little boys and girls. out of sheer convenience they're being slaughtered I can't take it anymore Are we Jonah? Have we been called by God to rise, rise up and preach against the wickedness of our culture? Not only for the little babies, but also for the women who are getting ready to walk into a building and kill someone. To save them and rescue them from themselves. Church, do we really not have time for this? This is the greatest injustice of our time, and we're not paying any attention to it. 
We're all fleeing to our Tarshish. What would happen if we, as a body of believers, would come to the realization, the recognition that every single child from conception is made in the image of God and is our neighbor? Just this past week, we're standing at an abortion clinic, and there's 30 believers out there worshiping God. And there's two witches that have a sign on the front of their, uh, that they're carrying in front of them that says, two gay wishes for abortion. And they walked in our midst and they cursed at us and they mocked us and they made fun of us and they, they, they were making spells and curses and throwing out mushrooms and burning incense and all this kind of stuff. And the only thing I could think of, this, this is, the only thing I could think of is there are two gay witches that, that they're saying it themselves that are here promoting abortion right in the midst of 30 or 40 people with such boldness. And in this building where 3,000 people died last year, there's a church half a mile down the street with 5,000 believers in it and not one of them represented there. Is our agenda God's agenda? Ladies and gentlemen, our Tarshish isn't Tarshish in Spain. Our Tarshish is our entertainment. Our Tarshish is our comfort. Our Tarshish is our ease. Guys, if you knew someone was going to take my son to 1201 North Arlington on Thursday and kill him, Would you do something about it? Please tell me you would. I was talking to my friends here recently. As many of you know, I've got some African-American brothers that I spend quite a bit of time with. And we were talking about issues of justice in relationship to the gospel. And there are still justice issues, right? There are still things that are wrong, right? In, in relationships to, to race. But one thing I posited to them a couple weeks ago was, guys, if the church can't get on fire 
and get riled up for the glory of God in regards to the lives of millions of innocent babies, then nothing's going to rile us up. Nothing. So Jonah rebelled. His agenda wasn't God's agenda. And so he went another direction. But God pursued Jonah. God pursues Jonah. Verse 4, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us thought to us and that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to them, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to them, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us this innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as you please. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and they ceased from its raging. You see, we don't know how long Jonah was on his little journey, but from the moment that Jonah turned his back against the call of God on his life to the moment the storm starts, Jonah thought he was in the clear. Yeah, I know this is what God wants me to do, but I ain't doing that, so I'm going over this way. And so he started his journey. He started walking. Who knows how many days that was or how many weeks that was. Hops on a boat. Who knows how long that was? And here in this scene, what we see is Jonah is asleep down at the bottom of the boat. So apparently he thinks that all is good. God told me to do this. This was God's agenda for my life. But I didn't like that agenda for my life. I had my own agenda for my own life. So I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to head to Tarshish. And apparently... Everything's fine. 
that's not the end of the story, is it? God pursues his servant. God pursues his servant. God had given Jonah a task. Jonah wasn't willing to do the task. And God pursues him. God is patient. Jonah could have been reading the circumstances. See, look, he let me walk. See, look, he, I have enough money to get on the boat. See, look, I'm on the boat and everything's fine. See, uh, everything's all right. God's not that upset about what I'm doing right now. Well, things change. He has come to his rest. He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat soundly, and God shows up. The sovereign God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as much in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for, for it is God. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You know, I've talked to several people here recently that have talked about their relationship with God and said things like, well, you know, if I may decide to do this or I may decide to do that or I may choose to do this and I may choose to do that, I want you to understand something. We all need to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. Our God is sovereign. I want to say that again. Our God is sovereign. And He is sovereign over His people. He's sovereign over you. He's sovereign over me, and He is going to accomplish His purposes, whether it's with us or without us. Amen. He is going to accomplish His purposes, whether it's with us or without us, for His glory. Jonah thought he had a choice whether he was going to go preach at Nineveh. You know what? He didn't. Because God had determined that Jonah was going to go preach at Nineveh. Amen? And while we're here, I just want, I want to point this out. As soon as Jonah started heading toward Tarshish. Our God had every right to strike him dead. We see the heart of God in this text. This rebellious servant who has been called by Almighty God Himself has decided that he's not going to do what God has called him to do. And he is going to go to the exact opposite side of the world. And his attitude is like, I don't care what you say. To God! How crazy is that? Even You'll see it in the rest of the book. His attitude never changes. Yet God is patient. God is gracious. God is loving. God is merciful and spares him.
That is our God, isn't it? It doesn't matter how far you've delved into sin. It doesn't matter how long ago you turned away. It doesn't matter how long you've been kicking and screaming and telling God, you know, keeping Him at arm's length. God is patient, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love to the third and fourth generation. Maybe you're sitting out there and you've never experienced the grace of God and you're, you're thinking of your list of sins. I've done this and I've done that and I've done this and I've done that. I've been there. I've been in a place. I've been in a spot in my life where I looked at my life and I thought, there is no way on God's green earth that He can forgive me for all that. There's no way. But He can. But I want you to see this. God had given His prophet a job, and His prophet was going to do that job, wasn't He? He didn't just let him go. No, no. Our sovereign God pursues His servant for His glory. And He pursued His servant. Guys, are we servants of the Most High? Are we servants of the Most High? God's sovereign over the waves. We see that this is the text. God's sovereign over the waves. Sovereign over the wind. Sovereign over the sailors. And even sovereign over a couple dice. God uses the waves. God uses the sailors. God uses the wind. God uses the dice. God uses a fish to bring Jonah to the place that he's doing what God called him to do. And guys, that's what I'm praying for us. Lord, we've been talking about this, haven't we? Lord, whatever circumstances you have to bring into the life of this congregation that will cause us to rise up and call out in our culture, by all means, do it. Father, Whatever you must do, whatever challenges we must face, whatever persecution must come our way, whatever hardships must come our way, that this group of human beings would stand up and rise up and call out in the culture for His glory, driven by the glory of God, not the fear of man and personal pleasure. God, do it! Send the wind Send the waves, send the mariners, roll the dice. Do it.
I'm almost done. I'm going to read a section out of Hebrews here. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, my son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves. And He chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who are disciplined, who have disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Guys, if God would have just let Jonah go on his merry way, that would have been his judgment. But God, in his grace, sends a storm. And here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen, as his children. If we are not walking in His agenda with His purposes and with His goals and directions in our lives, if we are His children, He will discipline us for His glory. Ephesians 2.10, right? A famous verse. We are His workmanship. If you're a Christian today, you are the workmanship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, you have been created by the Lord Jesus Christ unto good works, which He has prepared in advance for us to do. So he pursues uh, Jonah, and look what happens. And I'm not going to get in the debate on whether you know these um, these mariners became true disciples of God, all those different types of things. Verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
the men feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. See, God pursued His servant in pursuit of His glory. And when He pursued Jonah, it only, even in Jonah's rebellion, even in His own prophet rebelling against Him, God glorified Himself. Church, we need a heart. Don't, do you want to see God glorified? Answer me. Do you want to see God glorified in this place? Do you want to see the glory of God in this place? It's going to take men and women of God whose agenda is completely altered and completely transformed by the agenda of God Himself. Where we align ourselves with the mission of our sovereign God. That's what it's going to take. Guys, we have the privilege we have the opportunity to be the prophetic voice of God in our culture, in our neighborhoods, in our city. And here's what I would say. If we're in a place where we can honestly say, you know what, God's agenda just really isn't my agenda right now. Let's pray a daring prayer. Lord, pursue me until it is. Lord, pursue me until it is. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come to you and we we recognize our need. to grow and change. Father, I do believe that many of us in this room want nothing more than for You to be exalted. For You to be honored in this place. For Christ to be set apart as Lord in our hearts and in this church. Lord, by your Spirit, give us the ability to see.
things the way that you see them. We love you, Lord. We confess that many times we have our own agenda and purposes in life. Give us a grace, God. Give us the grace to be a people for your glory. I just want you to take a minute and to reflect in your own life. To consider what God may be changing in you or pointing out in you. Pray that God would make this a church that burned with zeal for His glory. Pray to the Lord that He would make you as an individual, a person that burns for His glory. Lord, you are worthy of all worship. You are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of all that we have and all that we are. And we pray as a congregation, as a congregation of blood-bought, redeemed sinners, that you would glorify yourself among us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.